Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovation Deciphered. Today is a truly memorable episode. I'm lucky to be joined by Drew Ritchie, who's a guy I've known for many, many years, who has just completed the exit of a uh, business he founded only in 2020 during lockdown. Uh, a remarkable journey uh, and a really, really inspiring story. So I really hope you watch the whole thing from start to finish because it's really fantastic. Enjoy. Hi Drew, thanks for coming in. Drew, I know we've known each other a long time, but some of our viewers, although you are illustrious, won't know your backstory. So perhaps to get going, you could just get our viewers and listeners a little bit of a background about how you got to where you are now. Just succinctly, then we're we're going to delve into the depths. Thanks, Tim. So... um yeah, chartered civil engineer, and um, from Glasgow, did a master's at Harry Watt, um, fellow of the Institution of Civil Engineers back in 2003, so a long, long time ago. Luckily, I've been involved um, as an engineering consultant for probably about a third of my career. Another third of my career I've been in the um, contracting space, and about another third I've either been client side or um, on the kind of operational side. So, um, so I've seen all sides of this kind of infrastructure space and been involved in most infrastructure projects in terms of the asset class from whether it's highways, railways, light rail, heavy rail, metros to um, to water and more recently into um, fibre optics which is where um, I did my um, second startup. Brilliant. So Drew, I, I First part of my career was different but similar to yours. And I'm always fascinated by the transition from corporate life into the entrepreneurial life. So how, how did that happen for you? So for me, I've now got 34 or so years experience. And um, the one thing that I hadn't done, which I could have wanted to do was that entrepreneurial piece where you could set up your own business, you found it and then you effectively go through that phase to kind of start up, scale up, accelerate with some sort of exit at um, some point in the future, which is usually give or take up to eight years from, from founding a business, if that's the strategy. And that's really where I was at, was that um, I kind of got involved in water with, um, then, with then InfraCapital and Morgan Stanley and Veolia when they owned Affinity Water and um, I loved every minute of it and the business was very successful when I was there I could have, was brought in to transform the business from an underperforming asset into a high performing asset which it achieved during my kind of tenure there because the business was sold by InfraCapital and Morgan Stanley at a significant valuation above what they thought they were going to get um, InfraCap asked me to go and do something similar with their fibre to the premise pro- company called GigaClear. And they bought GigaClear um, from its original shareholders around about May 2018. 
and that was really my first foray into kind of entrepreneurship, if you like, yeah. and um, and really you know, full thanks to you know, Tinfra Capital for uh, for bringing me in to kind of help accelerate that change. And I also got involved in one of their huge bids for um, for Scotland, and it was rolling out fibre to the premise across the Highlands and Islands of Scotland. And unfortunately, that didn't work out. But the team that had been assembled to deliver that R100 project went off to basically set up what became Up Corporation Limited during the course of 2020, where we, during COVID, all worked from home. We didn't earn a penny and um, we sought about trying to create a business plan from nothing, trying to create a strategy whereby we could prove to a potential investor that we could deliver if the funding was forthcoming. Four of us co-founded the business. I had a chief financial officer who had a proven track record both in telco and elsewhere. I had a chief te- technology officer again who had a proven track record of over 30 years in telco. Um, had worked for Marconi and BT and others. And, um, and my chief operating officer also with BT and uh, with a company called KCOM Communications up in, um, up in Hull. And that combination of the four of us with our kind of experience second time round proved to be the kind of, I suppose, through the investor lens, the core of a, of a team that could accept funding and actually be trusted to deliver given the track record that we all had. Um, created so therefore for us it was about getting a business plan that was credible getting the documentation behind the business plan to prove how we could deploy the capital to to ultimately maximize shareholder return at a future exit point during the course of 2020 we went off and found a number of potential investors including a vc firm can I just ask a sort of supplementary mm. question there? Because I know a lot of our listeners and viewers are interested in raising capital at that seed stage. Yeah. I mean, how much effort did that take? How many pitches did you have to do after you've just sent all this you know, compelling information? So ultimately, we created the business plan, which was predominantly a series of financial spreadsheets which went into every single thing that you would expect in terms of creating a business, including all their CapEx programs in terms of the rollout of the fibre to premise, but also included all your OPEX requirements in terms of what was your organisational structure going to be, when were people going to come in, how they were going to come in. So basically we had a whole eight-year plan, and that was basically down to the kind of nth degree. So year one, we knew what capital we required, year two, three, four, all the way through, and obviously, the capital that you deploy in that particular construction-heavy business, at some point, you've got to pay it back. So then it was about when are you going to deploy your um, in-house premise, which was basically broadband. So it was a, a kind of a, a box inside the customer's wall. That would then talk to a, um, a router. And then the router was the thing that would provide the broadband to the premise. And basically... Each and every customer that you got on your network would pay a subscription per month, which we all pay to BT, Virgin Media or others. Yeah. But ultimately, we created with Up.com a vehicle that um, would take on the, um, the kind of traditional um, incumbents. 
So our model was to basically find an area that was poorly or, or un, you know, poorly underserved and to basically be an agitator to the big players. Clearly we had to kind of get through our due diligence, so therefore the due diligence was the kind of how you're going to do it and not only how but where you're going to do it and obviously what capital you need to deploy in that process. Now, we were lucky in getting letter one, but letter one were a number of other companies that we spoke to. We spoke to three originally, and each said that they would put in the, the billion pounds to enable us to reach a million premises over a five-year time period. So that was when the capex was required. And basically after that five years, we would then become effectively self-sustaining where the number of customers that you had on board were providing all the revenue that you would then need and then they would, they would, the payback would then happen. So, and there were a number of levers that you, or that we needed to deploy over that period of time to maximise the investor rate of return, such that you could then, you know, some sort of exit in the future, both the leadership and management team could get a, a kind of return on that investment and all the shareholders that we had in the business. So just make sure I understood that those numbers correctly. You did three pitches. To three get pitches, yeah. A billion pound commitment. Correct. And that's a, <laughs> that sounds fairly extraordinary to me that you only need a it was a massive amount of money for a startup, which wasn't in the super tech space. Well, it's a massive amount of money for startups. You took three pitches. It's astounding. <laughs> it's all it took, because we had we had a credible business plan, which was due diligence by experts in the yeah. technology space, i.e., management consultants in that space, but also by one of your preeminent top four um, finance houses. So the the, the founding partners, yeah, I guess shareholders, the original shareholders, created the business plan. And was it the investors who did the due diligence? Or did, yes. Yeah. yeah. The investors did the due diligence. We had to create a plan that others would then validate and verify that the four individuals that put the business plan together could be trusted to deliver and yeah. require whatever capital it required in year one, year two, year three, year four, as you went from startup with nothing, we had no processes, no procedures, nothing at all, to, um, to a business that basically would scale up and then accelerate. And that meant that you needed to, for all of us, well, for the four of us, it was second time round. Yeah. So we all used our collective experiences, which was probably about 30 years each. And we brought in another three people into the kind of management team, leadership team, to kind of crack on with what needed to be done. So my leadership team had 160 years combined experience when we started off. Well, I mean, I'm, from my own experience as being an entrepreneur, but what we see with our clients and communities that we're in, it's one of the most astounding money-raising stories I've ever heard. And it was during COVID. Yeah, well... <laughs> during COVID. So we, we raised the finance during the latter part of 2020 when um, people were all working from home. We set the business up. First funding came in on the 21st of January 2021 and um, off we went deploying the capital. And so from getting the first money in January 2021, from 
the four of you decided to do it. What was the time frame for that? So we started raising, we started the conversations with private equity firms around June 2020 because we needed to create the business plan and then we needed to speak to others that might want to come on our entrepreneurial journey. Because ultimately you had four key members of what was the management team, which I coined leadership team really, and um, and that was effectively the C-suite. So we needed some additional members other than the, just the four. So we needed a chief commercial officer, which in construction is very different to what it would be in kind of retail space where chief commercial officer is somebody who's really more about sales and marketing. So that's the customer yeah. side of things. Um, I also needed to bring on board a chief regulatory risk officer because compliance was really, really important. So from a blank sheet of paper to getting the first tranche of cash, that sounded about seven months. Did yes. I get the time all right? Amazing. So we're now in January 2021. You've got enough money to keep, you've got some oxygen now yeah. to take the four or five or six of you by then forward. So what was the next year like as you so, so just So, so part of my role as a chief executive of was, um, I just remember the first conversation I had with my chairman, um, a chap called Robert Calliope, uh, Robert um, Easton, who's uh, formerly from um, um, Calliope, uh, one of the PE firms, or renowned PE firms. And his advice was, treat every pound as though it was your own. So any investment decision that you make you must own that decision, but also it's about maximising every pound that you invest to maximise any future return. And if you wouldn't spend it yourself, don't spend it. So if it's going to propel the business forward, then that's the right investment strategy. Whereas if it's not, don't invest. So therefore, we didn't invest in lots of things because it wouldn't make to use an old analogy, the, the kind of rowing boat go faster. So everything was about deploying capital at pace, safely, efficiently, effectively, but to use technology and innovation to really drive the business forward, which meant that we had 130 people by the end of the first year, and a lot of those came from uh, from the armed forces. And were, and were these predominantly blue-collar, or were they a mixture of... So it's a mixture. So across the the the, um, the various um, structures within the business, so we operated a kind of um, um, a matrix management structure. But ultimately, you, a lot of the people that were going into people's premises to basically you know, put their Wi-Fi in, um, you, we had to trust those individuals and make sure that you, they were. Um, of the utmost integrity at the end of the day because ultimately the brand is the most important thing and therefore if we could trust those individuals to go to customers premises then then that was a great thing really so a lot of the people in terms of those customer facing roles came from the ex-military and so um, presumably if you you've got to because customer service is so crucial yeah you must have had a whole customer service team who were training these people getting the feedback making sure everything was going right yeah so we had a whole custom head of customer service and um she and the team did a fantastic job the that team there aren't many organizations who achieve a 4.9 on trust pilot for um 11 months the 12th month prior to that was a 4.8 
So, um, so really during 2022 and 2023, the business was being propelled on customer excellence in customer service and making sure that the products that we were offering customers were of the best quality. And that was partly to do with learning from my experience with GigaClear and also the feedback we were getting from Virgin Media's customers and also BT's customers about the poor broadband service that they were getting and therefore how could we make ourselves different? How could we be attractive to others? And clearly customer service and customer excellence and dependability and reliability were key products. And then we knew if we smashed those, and we, we were really strong on our ESG front, certainly on the kind of social side of things, where we did a lot in the communities and made sure that we were always visible and doing charity things or whatever. Then the brand was really getting to be well known across the region for excellence. So I can see exactly how, uh, obviously, superb customer care, getting ESG right, but what was your, how did your marketing work to leverage those uh, great, the great service and the great technical products you've got? How did you get to the customers? So so if we we wind the clock back now to 2021 and the early part of 2021, and maybe just a little bit before that in December, 2020, we were trying to co-create the brand and we were trying to work out what the business was going to be called. And we worked with a company called Interbrand, one of the world's renowned kind of branding agencies. And what we were trying to do then was to kind of create a brand that would resonate with people in the future. So then it was about the brand being inextricably linked to your culture and also customers and they they would recognise the brand. But it was carefully thought out back in you know, January through to June. We spoke to Mrs. Up in Illinois and we got hold of successfullyup.com. And um, we purchased that and then we launched the up.com uh, on the 2nd of June 2020. And, um, and up.com was a brand that we went through quite a few different things around naming and so forth and just colours and all those kind of great things that got there. But ultimately, part of that was about creating a vision for the business, a, a mission for the business, a purpose for the vision, for yeah. the business and a value set for the business because ultimately it was about the staff and that link between the staff and what we did with our customers. And we wanted to make sure that that came across on the website. And that website to answer your question originally was, that's where all our products were on, was basically the website. And they were being updated continually as we were getting feedback from um, customers every single day and every single week and every single month. And so how did you drive traffic to the website? So we did that through a number of number of ways. So we did, um, we, we employed up to 15 um, field sales executives. So some of us would know those as people who would knock on somebody's door yeah. during the day and say, have you thought about you know, your broadband? Who is your broadband? When's your broadband service due up? Uh, so we did we did that and uh, very successfully. We also um, uh, dropped leaflets. We also did direct mail marketing. Still and, works. And um, still works, yes, still works. Um, that whole social piece I talked about in terms of ESG was around communities, local sponsorships. So we sponsored local netball, local cricket, local football, local local rugby. Um, we did a lot of charity raising and fundraising. And um, a lot of those things in terms of just 
being local and being seen. And um, you were in all the local Facebook groups. We were in yeah, all the local there. Facebook groups, and yeah. we were. Um, I got to know a lot of the the MPs and um, and so forth. So we we did everything through the MPs as best we could. But again, it was about just that local interface, employing locally and deploying locally. Just quickly on your brand, I mean, there is a large property company called Up. Was there any problem with that? No, because Up was the kind of a university's property partnership or something like that, I think, something from memory. Like yeah. um, we were Up Corporation Limited. Ah. And um, I managed to hold Up.com through a conversation with Mrs. Up over in Illinois. We Amazing. found her through a branding agency, or a kind of, not a branding agency, through a kind of specialist company that somehow tracks down who owns URLs, and they found and managed to get hold of Mrs. Up, who um, who was willing to sell the business, and it stopped us, you know, get on up, or what .co.uk was something we were looking at, but to get up.com really was a three-letter URL, it was memorable, and we could really use, get on up, we could use so many things within the up, yeah. Um, branding. Uh, amazing. I mean, you were, well, I, yeah. I, I wonder how well Mrs. Up did out of that. I hope she, I hope she did well. I'm she sure. did. She did. We didn't overpay. We paid a reasonable sum. And um, let's just say we were very happy with the deal that we got. Great. That's a good story. So, let's, this is, this is tremendous. We've got the thing going. We've got sales. We've got, Customers, we've got great feedback. We're now into 2022, and now it's about further scaling the, the build out and customer acquisition and developing the thing. So, and you had this, was it a, you're going to try and sell in, sell the, or exit in 2028? Yeah, so the original and then, plan. And then what happened in 20? Yeah, so the original plan was to sell in 2028, but actually we had to sell last year. Um, the shareholder that we had um, chosen to go with they're back they were a company called letter one and letter one is um, is a um, PE firm based out of London and also Luxembourg but viewed by the British government as um, having Russian backing the British government wrote to myself back in um, May of 2022 and said that um, they were calling the acquisition of UP by letter one for review. Ouch. By the end of 2022, letter one were told to sell the business as it was deemed critical national infrastructure and under the new National Security and Investment Bill, they were to divest of the business during the course of 2023. That came as a shock to everybody at the end of um, December 2022 because we were accelerating um, the build. Letter one continued to invest through the whole of 2023 as we were going through the whole sale process, engaging an investment bank, getting the whole sale process kicking off, getting interested parties involved in the business, but performance was number one. Our performance every week and every month was under review, not only by letter one, because they were either going to divest the business, i.e. 
closing down somewhere in a project X, or they were going to push on and invest through 2023. They invested through the course of 2023 a huge sum of money by any stage um, because that was the requirement we needed to deliver a business plan and they trusted in me and my leadership team to deliver. And deliver, we did. Great. Every month, we went by, we outperformed because we knew that the interested parties and also the individuals within the business had put their trust in me and my leadership team to get the backing from Letter One to enable a sale to take place. And ultimately, on the 3rd of September, we sold the business to Virgin Media for a nine-figure sum. Wow. Amazing. Which, unfortunately, anything under my control I could deal with, anything that was outside my control, like a government intervention, was outside my, um, my remit. But me and my leadership team are very proud of everything we did, all the achievements we made, and to also go through something that you've co-found, you start up, scale up, accelerate, and then sell, even though it was earlier than we, we wanted, made us all very, very proud of what we achieved. And um, and to get an promoter score of plus 84 in August was one of our kind of accolades and one of our attributes in terms of our employee customer, our employee culture was a, an employee net promoter score of plus 58. And plus 30 is, is excellent, but in, in August we got plus 58. So the culture in the business was, was fantastic. Everybody who put their trust and, and so forth into the business, um, just trust was gained as was respect and, um, and we delivered. Our shareholders were delighted with the return they got. And um, it's just a shame that um, a lot of, you know, a number of them have been made redundant since then, but um, that's part of the integration phase within up into an organisation, the likes of which was Virgin Media, which is the second biggest telco in the UK. Well, Drew, that's an amazing journey. I'm sure there's probably one, two or three more episodes that we could film. Uh, an amazing journey. Thank you very much for coming in. And... Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly did myself. Thank you.